So you're a fan of Atlanta United. And you heard ATL on Fire has crazy insights to your favorite team. Or maybe you're just here for the crazy. Amar said it? You've got to be kidding me. Nah, I'm here to produce, keep the sanity, and of course, drink wine. Or maybe to hit the buttons. And crank up the crazy. Whatever you're here for, we're going to talk about it all. I'm Dave Cass. I'm Mikey Dobbs. And I'm Carmen Butler. And this is... The ATL on Fire Podcast Show. Nick Purdy, thank you for inviting us to Wild Heaven on a beautiful day to, to podcast. Podcast on stage. It's not bad. No. He's got a little crowd on the patio here. It's a, it's a vibe. It is. It's awesome. So you have been an Atlanta United fan uh, since the inaugural season, correct? That's right. Yep, from the beginning. And you're part of one of the uh, football uh, supporters clubs, correct? Uh, yeah, we've been a part of Footy Mob as the yeah. beer sponsor from season one. So this is our seventh season as a sponsor. That's awesome. Uh, well, thank you for having us here. This is and our first season as a sponsor of ATL on Fire. Yeah, yes. is that right? Thank yes. you for sponsoring the podcast. Yay! Absolutely. Yay! Cheers! Number one Avondale Estates-based Atlanta United-specific yeah. podcast in the world. <laughs> do I have it right? I, you do. No, we're the number three Atlanta United podcast. Period. Come on! Outstanding. <laughs> we're definitely the best. And uh, we're just uh, talking about the season coming up, the season opener on Saturday. I know you're going. I know you went to the AmFam Cup, a disappointing 4-3 loss. Rujo's goal was nice, though. Was it? Yes, it Did was. Did you see that? Yeah, that was next level. Running through, yes. Speed, power, the whole thing. Did he have anything in that St. Louis match? I didn't watch he any. He scored of- again in St. Louis. Okay. It was nobody watched it because <laughs> it was behind closed right. doors. Is it? But is it his again. team now? Ah, him and Almada. I think the World do. Cup so, winning Almada. Whether right. we, I think whether we like it or not, it is his team. Yep. Because and we are saying if come summertime, if this team, it, well, if Air Ujo's body language and everything is not going right for him, then this team is not going to be right either, whatever the case. But it feels like he wants to take the next step, right? Do you see does. it? I, I think he wants to, but I think it's whether the team is set up for him to succeed, which it's at least positive signs in the preseason that he's getting some goals. But he hasn't met this Greek dude yet. He hasn't met this Greek dude yet, whose visa is coming uh, tomorrow. Could, tomorrow. Who knows? Could be this afternoon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Papa Giorgio. That's yeah. what Mikey Dobbs likes to Papa call Papa Giorgio. Him. Yeah. His real name is Yakomakis. I've read and tried to memorize the pronunciation key yeah. of his name, and I will get it. Just Yakomakis. Yeah. Yakomakis. No, it's Yakomakis. Keys. Oh. Yakamakis. Yakamakis. Uh, we'll have to and it's that. like a soft George. It's like George Yakamakis. I get I turned heard, off by the Yako. I, I, actually, say Yaka, I actually Yaka. heard him pronounce his own name, and he was like, George Yakamakis. I like it. I like yeah. that. It's an, oh, like it's that. Yak O and not Yak A. And then it's Makis instead yeah. of Makis. So it's George, Yako Makis. Let's just hope we have reasons to know this name. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> if we get it right, then it, then, it's, then so, we're doing something right. <laughs> I think he's also another key because he's clearly got attitude, this guy. Like just watching him in the interviews, he's got swagger. But it's all going to be, does he splash in the back of the net? That's the only thing that matters. Certainly Sorry. That, matters. that makes me a Southern sports fan. The reason I thought that among many that it, uh, Southern fans glommed onto this team right off the jump was we averaged 70 goals a year the first couple of years. That's we right. like scoring. No yeah. doubt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. We so, got spoiled. We really did. By a team that went forward really effectively. Well, <laughs> if you watch Almiron and Newcastle, it's no wonder. I mean, yeah. 
It's the best player we've ever had. Yeah, best player we've ever had. Fair. I don't know what a high press is, but it seems correlated with scoring. So, <laughs> if you do it right, yeah. So, so that's a good topic because we've talked about what a press is for our audience, and Dave really understands what a press is, which a lot of people think that the press is all about your forwards pressing up front, but a true press. Nick is actually that being followed up with rigor of your defending being pressed up so that the pressure actually is on from that direction, not necessarily the forwards. So, Dave, you want to talk? Yeah, if you're watching the ball, right, the press is, you know, around the ball, right? And so that's what it looks like. And many coaches who don't know what they're talking about are like, oh, the forwards have got to work hard to press the ball. But the bottom line is that you cannot press if the guy who has the ball has an easy out outlet to play the ball because then three guys work super hard to press. He just plays one ball and beats them all, mm -hmm. right? So you have to start – the key to a good press is the moment the ball turns over, if you have that first outlet ball marked up and taken away, now you can press. But until you do that, it doesn't matter how hard your guys are working, how good they are, whatever. So, so, so yeah, when the press is working, you watch these EPL games when yeah, they're trying to get it out of the back, and it ends up long, and they just keep recycling it back. Yeah, back and forth. That's well, when the press me, is Let me working. ask you guys a question, because you, you especially understand this better than me. Yeah. So in the Tata era, yeah. different personnel on the field, yeah. what, was our success in doing that more in the design of the tactics or more in the personnel being able to execute it? And we've been asking for it since and not seeing it, or have we not even been asking for it? It was really a Tata thing. It was the tactics, right? So so if you look at, for example, our MLS winning cup in the final, right? So not only did we have a back four that could really get up and defend, but we started in those teams. We had the Renowitz and we had... Um, Parky. What? Yeah, Park. Parkhurst in the back. Yeah, we would play with... Um, three guys defensively in the center of the park who weren't really that far forward. So the moment the ball turned over, they had guys to mark it up. And that meant that Al Marone could come back and take a guy off his, off his feet. Right? But we have had guys since then. Barco is, works just as hard defensively. Almada works just as hard defensively. And they have not been effective at doing it because we don't have that outlet marked up. Right? Hmm. So is this something that I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's not the only way to win. So I'm, I'm probably obsessed with it because I saw it work yeah. when I became a fan of this team. And I, you know, you guys know I'm, I've not done European soccer. That's yeah. not been my background. So I came into this fresh with this team. And so for, for fans like me, is should we look for that again, or is that just that's how that team did it, and that's not really what's going to be coming, folks? That's, that's going a great, forward. great. Like last year, we we definitely talked about how different the makeup of the team was. That should not try to attempt to play like the Tata team because the way we were designed last year was all our talent was in the center of the, the field to be able to play real ticky-tacky soccer, not the Gressel bomb down cross into uh, Martinez, who was a little older. It was about putting Martinez into really uh, nice slotted areas where he was obviously still able to finish, and yeah. I think Miami believes he's still able to finish when you give him the chance, but we had so much talent to knock the ball around that you had to play in a, a different style last year. What percent as good as Gressel is Lennon at putting those balls in? Well, part of it is, again, the tactics, and we were talking about this on the last podcast, is uh, a, a, I don't think that Lennon is as good as delivering the ball as Gressel was, and the way that 
uh, Lennon receives the ball, he's often coming back to it. He's too far up the field. We talked about this a few yeah, weeks and he's, ago. He yeah. comes back to it, so he's not on the front foot where everybody's charging down the field, and then the natural thing to do is play that early curler that we always saw from Gressel. So it's not like Lennon's not capable of doing that, but the team is not consistently putting Lennon in that position where he's bombing down the right yeah. side, where everybody else is also bombing at the same speed. I, don't know, I wanted to come back to your, your your slight question. So if you look at the team that started the MLS Cup final, so I don't actually think that Tata was that great a defensive manager, but if you look at the team that started the MLS Cup final match, right? So not only did we have Parkhurst and, Go- and Gonzalo Perez in the middle, right? But they had in the center of the park, Darlington Nogby, who was a defensive midfielder. They had Remedy, who was a defensive midfielder, right? And on top of that, the outside backs, Greg Garza, right? They had uh, Escobar on the other side, right? Defensively minded first. They had guys who were there to actually stop the counter, and then you could recycle possession. And if you look at our current team, right? So we have a guy in Sosa who I think is every bit as good as Remedy was. Um, we don't have a guy who sits as much maybe as Nogby, but if you played him with an Ibarra or a Josetu, maybe. But the big difference is that Lennon and Gutman are so far up the field that the moment the ball turns over, he has Ibarra and uh, Josetu marking for them, and then suddenly there's nobody to win the ball in the middle anymore. It's, it's, it's crazy. So for, for a, a moderately sophisticated fan like me or really low to middle like me you're moderately sophisticated like don't don't try to fool okay, people okay well i would like you're to be your, i would like to be the representative fan for your listeners who grew up on football baseball basketball yeah and weren't watching soccer fair so we we love what we're seeing we've enjoyed it we've had a great time for six years now we've reached I was arguing with my friends the other day, is this the second or third era of Atlanta United? I say the leaving of Eels and Joseph means it's the second. And there was not a second era after Tata left. That that was us just trying to continue what we already had. That this is the true second era. So this is asking me as a fan for the first time to buy into something that's not obviously shiny. (laughs) And I don't know what to expect or even to look for and I feel for the first time as a fan of this club a little bit at sea I retain optimism but I'm a little bit at sea because I don't I don't feel like I know what we are anymore I think that's really fair ground to be on right now uh, I think Dave and I who uh, you know and Carmen who grew up playing Division One soccer the, the The eye test of what Pineda is putting together the last year and a half has us a little concerned, to be honest. I think he's a first-time coach, um, and I'm not sure he's commanding the overall locker room respect, but also, more importantly, is he putting the tactics out there that are unique to what he's trying to achieve and is is the team buying into it? And and more, more than anything, is it resulting in wins and I think unfortunately the last year and a half wins versus losses is in the negative column right Dave yeah well what I would say is that so you're an Atlanta sports fan right you know and so 
obviously, like the Falcons have struggled a yep. lot, you know. And and just like the NFL, there's a salary cap in MLS. And so even though you have the purchasing power, right, of an Arthur Blank, right, you would say, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is that Atlanta United, compared to other MLS teams, has a much higher salary um, structure because the other MLS clubs are not spending as much money. That means that... Atlanta United is really not like uh, the Falcons or even the Braves. It's a little bit more like the Yankees. They have had really good players and they have put in a, a structure where they're buying young from South America. They have a lot of money and they have had talent, right? So when you have that, I think the expectations should be higher. Right, they should be. I don't know if you need them to win the title every year, but they need to be a playoff team. They need to be fighting for the regular season champion, maybe a third or fourth place team, no matter what. And to me, the big difference is we've had teams on paper that were super talented in the last couple of years yeah. and haven't done well, and that's on the coach, right? Uh, you know, we a lot of the supporters have said, "Oh, we haven't had the talent." I don't really buy it. When you look at Almada and you look at Araujo. I mean, Araujo came from a Champions League team in France, right, as a starter. Almada is a World Cup, you know, made the World Cup squad as the youngest player in Argentina since Messi, right? These are not exactly players that have no credentials. Well, right? last year is a write-off because of injuries. I think... No, not for no, you? No. no. Oh. They, they do not give them no. a break. Not, this is, a, this no is what way. people have sold you a bill of goods. Well, okay. Stop following the mainstream on that. <laughs> no, this is my... I have, a, I have a group of friends, a couple of whom are much, much, much more knowledgeable than yeah. me. And one of them, you know, strongly well, was me, like, this year doesn't... You can't really judge much on Pineda or whatever. I mean, that's all Pineda said is any time... There's no accountability from Pineda on should have done this differently, should have done that. It's all reversing down to the, the injuries that we had, which were, there were some legitimate injuries, right? Well, we had two major injuries, right? Guzan, the goalkeeper, Miles. right? And, Miles and when Guzan went down, they bought a very respectable backup. That, to be honest, with Guzan at his age is not a huge, you know, we talk about wins above yeah. replacement kind of in baseball, yeah, sure. right? I don't think the goalkeeper that we had was that far below. The only really major injury was Miles Robinson at center back. And even there, they bought a pretty serviceable backup in Parada pretty quickly, right? So Who's going to get minutes this year? Yeah. Right, and we we're counting on him this so year. So he wasn't bad, right? So yeah. then, But if you look at the mama, Martinez, Araujo, Almada, right, and, and Moreno, those guys played a ton of the whole season. They were there. If you can't figure out how to score with those four guys who played most of the time, they weren't injured. What? So it sounds to me like you're doubting Pineda a little bit. We're, <laughs> yes. we've I haven't listened to all your episodes, so if that's a theme that's already established, which, which, I, I'm sorry I missed it. It's, and well, it's unfortunate, too, because it's also weird because we never on this podcast ever went after Frank DeBoer, and we never went after Heinze as – questioning their coaching capability we question their cultural fit as in there they're they they were not connecting to these these rosters right they, right they they were not connecting with the way that mls works and the culture that you need but i never questioned their iq of being able to coach a team per se so 
do you think the new president believes in this guy? I mean, they were obviously together in Seattle. Well, so we have kind of differing opinions there. I was thinking that, yes, uh, Lagerwey is going to give him a lot more rope. Dave actually thinks the opposite. He, he thinks that if it doesn't happen, He's on a short leash. He's on a shorter leash. Uh, Dave, if, why do you think that? Well, I mean, is it, I mean, Lagerwey is a, is a numbers guy, right? And so he was given his first head coaching job. If you give a guy a first head coaching job, you know, you got to look at the numbers, right? And there's always a subjectivity to it, right? You would say, all right, you know, first head coaching job, you would normally say, oh, give the guy three years to build his whatever, right? There's a difference in inheriting a team that's rebuilding. You know, the Cincinnati team where the coach came in and has done an amazing job, right? He was hired from Philadelphia Union. But in our case, Pineda came into a team with a roster that was built to win the day he stepped in, right? Yeah. And honestly, even if you look at where they was, with all of the catastrophe that they had, the season that he took over, right? I mean, they started with Heinze, then they had an interim coach, and then he took over for the last third of the season. They were still in the playoffs, right? It was mostly because of glass in the middle, right? You know, they did pretty well during that period. And then Pineda came over and did okay with that afterwards. But that was a playoff team, even with all of that, right? And so you come back, and with the highest paid roster in the league coming off a playoff season and you finish 10th. Yeah, fair. Okay, I, I know I'm interviewing you guys, but let me <laughs> keep going because I got more questions. Yeah. So here's the big one. Yeah. Back to Pineda, back to this club, what can they do? So the king is gone. Build the statue. We love him. He's the legend. Yep. He did all the things. He adored us. We adored him. But if if he had stayed and Pineda had gone, the next coach was already screwed because that would have been two coaches that a prima donna, a prima donna I love, but a prima donna had run off. I think it ended the way it had to end. That's my perception. My question about that though is, do you think that opens up a new dynamic where Pineda is going to be more successful it's hard, hard to say you'd be more successful after losing a guy like Joseph Martinez, but addition by subtraction is a real thing. It happens. So yeah. so first off, I want to say, because all the listeners out there know that we are a negative Pineda voice right now, <laughs> but I don't think there's anybody that will be happier than us if come fourth or fifth game into the season, we're kicking ass and taking names, and Pineda has us saying, oh, okay. Oh, we'll give you some leash because we even talk about Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United. Not the best record to start out with at Manchester right. United. Almost even. got fired. So there are coaches who are new to the job that don't do great out of the gates, but he does. Ha- he's got some headwinds right now. So, yes, to your point, this is his moment. These first five to six games to show us: can you use this new Greek guy up front? Can you instill the confidence of? two world-class players like Amada and Araujo to be the be the guys, right, that show Atlanta United is back. We're the, we're the team in 2017 that's on the front foot. What do you Carmen, do you want to weigh in on that? And I have a couple things to say. I'll let you, no, let you go ahead then. You go ahead. I mean, one thing I'll say is that it's unclear to me that Martinez was really a poison pill until we started losing. He obviously is not a guy who is going to fight that, you know, no matter what, even when the team is losing. But he seemed to be on the Pineda bandwagon for the beginning. And it wasn't until the team was losing 
losing, losing, losing that he started turning over the table and, you know, R.O.'s Campoyo when he <laughs> splashed in, you know, right. all the food all over everywhere. And to be honest with you, um, you know, yes, that's not great. You want a guy who's still behind the coach and fighting for it, whatever, but... You know, I'm not sure that he was a poison pill to begin with. I think he was reflecting the results. Now, he didn't give Pineda a long leash. I do believe that there was a lot of passion and loyalty to the club in yeah. the way he conducted himself, but yeah. it didn't work. It was sure. bad leadership. For sure. Yeah. Now, right. what I would say is, so Pineda won that fight. They, they To credit to the, to the team, which I think the, the credit to the organization, they stuck with the coach over a player, which you always should, yeah. and he's gone. Right, so now Pineda I was cool with the time thing. that they didn't, though. <laughs> the, the, getting Heinz out, I don't think we all have any problem with that, right? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I didn't. So I, I'm okay with them backing Pineda. I did. I did. You did? I, I liked Heinz. I yeah. think we should have ridden that bad attitude for a little while longer. <laughs> I think that's what the city needed. No, but Dave, somebody I, that's like, no water for you, <laughs> and it's time to start winning. Okay, but, I just want to be on the record. I'm just saying. And, I tri and I'm not just saying that, by the way. Either. Really? The guy could, especially if you watch the beginning part of it, like, he got a lot wrong, but he got a lot right. And had it been a little different, I think that whole season could have gone completely different. Because the guy actually knows how to coach. Now I'll back up and let everybody else talk. <laughs> so what I, I think you're right, though. You're Pineda right. won the battle, right? And he has his team. So now the question is, you know, is it really addition by subtraction, right? Mm -hmm. You know, So when you get rid of Martinez, so Martinez, you would say, for at least in the Pineda locker room, is a poison, is a negative, right? And you would say, all right. But he was still scoring a fair number of goals off the bench. He was coming back from the injury, so he struggled initially. But then eventually, his goals per minute was really good. So the question I have for Pineda or for the club is, all right, have you at least replaced the production? Right? And obviously, for Pineda, it's all about Yakamakis, right? That, you know, is he going to be able to score? Is he going to be a much more guy who fits that system? My problem that I have is that I don't think it was a poison or it wasn't Martinez himself that was the problem, right? It was a disjointed attack. We kept playing through uh, Brooks, Lennon, and Goodman. I mean, Goodman was the second leading scorer on the team, right? And we, who, by the way, was out for a pretty good chunk. Yeah. And we loved this guy. Oh, he's terrific. He's but terrific. My Instant that, fan favorite. My yeah, point is that all of that and the guys who are really the players we really should have been going through, who we want to succeed, are the Araujo Almada, right? Or even Moreno in last year's yeah. team, but, right? So my worry is that, okay, we switched it. He's still going to rely on Goodman and Lennon. And, you know, the idea that he has is that we're going to build down the flanks and cross it in. So if Yakamakis is really going to be a finisher that Martinez wasn't, then sure, maybe. Yeah. But that's a lot. It's putting a lot on Yakamakis. But even in the injuries last year, yeah, Gutman was unavailable a huge portion of, of the, you know, the first half of the season, right? When it came down to the most critical games, he was still there. Same with all of our uh, Moreno, Araujo. Almada. But and, had they built any chemistry at that Martin, point? That, I think the roster That's the, the coach's job. Two, but no, he, could, he only could use who he could use. I don't think we ever got a groove because they never had the right 11 for a nice 15-game stretch to get, you know, in sync. You don't have that. No coach has that luxury. Oh, come on. We've had it before. No. No coach 
ever has that luxury. There's always turmoil like that. If you look at any team, I don't. I still think last year was more disjointed than most seasons. I would actually agree it was more disjointed, but I think I blame Pineda for it more than the injuries. Okay. I think that's kind of where I come from. I don't understand how in the MLS, despite those things, how with capable backups and at times the guys who he had available, the Almada, Araujo, Moreno, Martinez, who were available for a number of those games, 15 games or not, how you can't score with those guys. That, to me, is a problem. Okay. I have one more question. Yeah, hit us. In my interview of you on your own podcast. <laughs> and then we get to interview you. <laughs> I'm sure people are tired of me already. But um, my friends and I were arguing today about um, the playoffs and the, the obvious clown show of not having a playoff plan when the season's beginning. Hilarious. Um, my, I guess my question is less about the clown show element and more about what do you think is the best thing for this league we're not going to get promotion relegation. It's a great question. Um, but what do you think is the best thing for this league? And given that our league is bigger than most leagues in the world, all maybe all leagues, I don't know. We're gonna we're at 29 teams. We're gonna have 30 probably within a year or two. Wouldn't be surprised if eventually it was 32. You can't. You're you're only gonna win an MLS Cup every couple decades if you do well. So the supporter shield needs to matter more. It doesn't, but it should. Yep. You need more ways for clubs to have moments of joy so that the fans remain engaged. That's my backdrop to say, what should the league do? So I think it's, unfortunately, the what's good for the league is also what is good for Apple TV is the the conundrum that they're in right now because they're in a 10-year deal with Apple TV right now. So what's good for Apple TV is what's good for the league, right? And I think that's the unfortunate part is they're trying to figure out how do we create more inventory. Yeah, playoff games mean money. For Apple exactly. TV. Just more, yeah, it's all about the money right now. But it's also what is the right balance for a playoff system that we should stop arguing about what it, what it is next year and the next year. It needs to be this is the MLS playoff system and it should be it for the foreseeable future. Right. It should have been tied to the contract, but but what should it be? I'm I, asking you guys I'm, to I'm say your real be, opinion. I'm smiling because I have an answer. But I'm, Carmen, you want to answer well, first? Well, <laughs> did I look like I had an answer? I don't know. I just want to make sure that you want to chime in. I have an answer. I think MLS has already answered this question. Huh. The answer is the League's Cup. So in the middle of this season, they are going to take a month off and they are going to have a World Cup-style tournament against Liga MX, all of the Mexican teams, all of the MLS teams, and all of this stuff about there's no other trophies to win is all going to disappear because right in the middle of the season, every team is going to get to compete for a World Cup title every year for North American supremacy. They've already addressed that question at some level. Okay, but it's a, how often will the is the U.S. Open Cup still happening every year, or is that every other? Yes, but the U.S. Open Cup is very secondary but the league's cup is going to happen every year okay but what about this how should the mls season end yeah that's a that's a you know i agree with you that i i think that you know in a perfect world there has to be much more for winning at least the supporter shield right um you know they the, the league needs to make it a bigger deal i mean 
The it's problem, interesting. The, the, and the Mexican teams have answered this also, which is they have a playoff system too, unlike Europe, but they then have multiple seasons every year. They have shorter sprints, if you will. So they have multiple titles every year. There's the Apertura and the Clausura, right? So I actually think if MLS was really going to do that, one of the answers is if you're not going to have an epic, you know, European-style season where the Champions League is going to be a big deal, then one of the answers is to go to multiple playoff seasons a year. That's one answer. And then obviously, um, either the League's Cup or the CONCACAF Champions League, or both, becomes a huge thing. And I think that means that instead of winning a title every but 20 years, you have other things next, to win. We're still avoiding next question, right? How should the how league should it end? How should the league let end? Let me tell you my idea. Uh, let me just say, oh, let me just like say I'll, I'll get to you here. But the problem with the, uh, what, what do they call the shield the supporter shield yeah it'll never ever ever mean anything because there's no pro rally right so th right. the model yeah. of where you land whether you're first in the league in, ter in terms of your record doesn't matter in the mls and it never will can we just get that out of the way not in my idea but go on okay so i'm gonna, <laughs> gonna come back to you uh, it's a perfect it's a perfect setup so i'm dying to in, hear in, in my mind it. that's not gonna matter so that means oh, it's it's a playoff system that is rewarding the best teams, right? Which should be a, a smaller group of teams that, through the through how they placed, make the playoff system. And I personally don't care whether it's a one and done that seemed to work last year, or my preferred is the aggregate home and away. I think that gives uh, a little bit more inventory. That's more classic global style of deciding who a. Uh, championship team is so I say just keep it simple and go back to you know whether it's six or seven teams and make the playoffs and go home and away mm -hmm. and whoever wins I I still like that system it's a little old school but all right Nick what what is, what is your I feel like I need like a drum roll I, or I something think very what I like about it. this idea is I think it elevates the supporter shield while giving us a better postseason okay now I don't know if the calendars work and I'm ignorant about that kind of stuff right. but what if and there's always been this talk about Liga MX and MLS eventually merging up somehow. I think that's unwieldy and impractical yeah. for a ton of reasons, yeah. so I don't want to see that. We're not getting promotion relegation. We're just going to accept that's a fact. All right, right. so how about instead we declare the Supporters' Shield the MLS champion? However, the postseason is four to eight teams from Liga MX and the MLS in, I'm not going to call it, we already have a Champions League for the, it's more than a U.S. Yeah. and Mexico because it gets some other countries in there. But we come up with a new thing. I don't even know what you call it. But basically the top teams from Liga MX and the top teams from LS, that's who goes to, quote, the playoffs. The, and then you do whatever you the do. The problem that. is that the ship has sailed on what Dave was talking about. The League's Cup is here. They've, they've yeah, marketed and I, and it. What I would say is that yeah, you're right. with the League's Cup, you kind of get that a little bit. So you're going to have a playoff-style tournament that's going to be a Mexican-U.S. champion. Well, I think what, what, what was, to me, the more insightful part of what you said was the making the regular season and the playoffs sort of two different things. And that's where I go back to the Clausura and the Apertura from the Mexican League. So if you said that instead of it being a regular season and a playoff, if you declared it as two seasons, one is the regular season that is now, that has a champion, whoever finishes first, and then there is a whole second season that's just a playoff, maybe even including all the teams with some of the top teams being, you know, 
you know, more favored because of the structure. Maybe they get buys like U.S. Open yeah, Cup or something, something like that. something like that. So then you would have two champions per year like they have in Mexico, and you'd have more to play for. Huh. There you go. I like that. I, I could live with that. So all 30, all tw- let's call it 30 teams. It's 29 now. All yeah. 30 are in it. Maybe the top 16 don't play the first round or something like that. Right. Yeah. So it's a whole second season. You declare a champion, and then the playoffs becomes a second season. There's a huge advantage, not only getting a bye, but home and whatever. And there's a, there's a playoff champion, too. So now, now I'm really on my last question. What do you predict is happening? In terms of what they're going to decide in the next 48 hours. Oh, the playoffs. Oh, it's very clear. I think that they're going to have more games because they're going to put in either a two or three game early round structure. So they're going to go back to the home and home or they're going to even go to some crazy three game structure. We talked about a little earlier that three game series doesn't work like because in baseball you have a three game series, but you have ties. So if you have a three game series and you do it by wins, in other words, you got to win two out of the three, then you have to have a winner in every game, which means that you either have overtime and it goes on forever until someone scores or you have an automatic shootout and you don't want people winning rounds by having a shootout to get a win in a game that means two out of three. So I don't like that at all. I think they may do that, but I would say the answer is clearly that the early rounds are going to be some kind of two or three format. And then as you get later into the playoffs, probably the semifinals, it's going to be single game. All right. Well, thanks for coming well, on the ATL on Fire podcast, guys. I appreciate you. Go. We you, want to ask you about you the brewery. You were really good, though, with the questions. I was like, whoa. Those are excellent questions. I'm actually right? curious. Really I'm still good. learning. Oh, so plug yeah, plug, uh, plug the, the, the brewery. Tell us a little bit about. Yeah, I want to hear well, a little bit about how you founded it here and what made you put it here and how's it going. Well, it's near my house. I mean, that's. <laughs> like, no. Uh, so Wild Heaven Beer, we're a craft brewery. Two locations here in Atlanta, one in the West End over at the Lee and White Development with lots of other fun stuff. And then here in our uh, original one in Avondale Estates, where we're sitting on the patio enjoying a beautiful afternoon. Um, you know, this is the part of town where there was uh, a need for some cool stuff. And um, we found a really great building and a great spot. And so we opened here in 2014, distribute our beer in four states. Um, and we spent a lot of time trying to create reasons for people to come out and sit at the brewery and hang out with their friends and family and just have a really good time hanging out. So Dave was at some beer thing the other day, and you said that you were blown away about a beer. From- yeah, we were at the Cascale Festival down yeah. on the west side, and the Wild Heaven beer, We, my parents and I tried 30 or 40 beers. Well <laughs> done by you. Wild Heaven we had a debate whether it was one or two. It was right at either one or two, but it was fantastic. Thank and you. Well, we won a uh, blue ribbon at that festival. You did? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we voted for you. Thanks. <laughs> I don't know whether that was a person judge thing or whether it was an official judge thing. It, but was, a, it was, I think, a people's choice. Okay. No, I, there's both a judge's and a people's choice. It was true. Ter- the beer was terrific. Thank and, you. And actually... You know, you we've had the uh, the ale that you had for the the World Cup, and we've had easy ale, and the the beers are really really terrific. So that's what I want to ask you about is so prior to opening the brewery, did you brew a lot? How did you get into the styles of beer that you're making? So I am not a brewer. My partner Eric Johnson, who I started the company with, is our brewmaster. He's a genius. He's a wild left brain right brain combo it's not fair actually he's a better (laughs) artist and scientist than most artists and scientists you really would like your brewer to be both and here's why an artist will make you something flavorful and interesting 
a scientist can do it again. <laughs> Dave can appreciate that. A molecular biologist himself, well, he can um, appreciate that. Eric take. is a propagation physiologist. Okay. Awesome. So, yeah, he's, he's a crazy, wildly intelligent person. And how did you know him? Uh, mutual friends. Um, he went to the University of Georgia. I went to Auburn. And when I would go see my friends in Athens in the early 90s, he was in their friend group. And we were just sort of mutual admiration society. And a long time later, when I was so excited about craft beer that I couldn't be an observer and had to be a participant, I asked him, I'm like, how have you not started a brewery yet? But would you do it with me? And he said, yeah. Hell yeah. That's well, I have to get back to kids. <laughs> so. I appreciate you taking a lot more than 10 minutes with us. And, Wait, and I have to, one final question. One final question. I knew you would. That's why I'm shutting it down. What made you decide to sponsor the podcast? Well, in a world of thousands of podcasts, every once in a while, one comes along that's clearly special and has yes. that thing, that it. And it's her. Yes. We're not stupid. On that note, well, thank you again so much for sponsoring the podcast. It's yeah. really uh, yeah. amazing, and we are thank you so we much. are happy to drink your beer and to be here because we love your beer. Thank yeah. you. Good to see you guys. Yeah, good to see you too. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks, Nick. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>